Welcome to Food and Loathing, your weekly seat at the food nerd version of a cool kid's table where some of the most influential and opinionated foodies in the world, or at least in my world, dish the dirt and shoot the shit on one of the most exciting food scenes in America. I am, of course, talking about hot and sunny Las Vegas, Nevada. Mm-hmm. I'm Al Mancini with producer Rich Johnson. Jason Harris will join us a little later when he he take a a big-picture look at Las Vegas through the eyes of a couple of veteran travel writers. But we're back at DW Bistro, where we convinced co-owner Bryce Krausman (laughs) to let us return, and he convinced us to hand him a microphone. Oh, boy. So, Bryce... uh, you don't shut up, so it's time to put up. What's going on? How are you? You know, you caught me right at the end of Lunch Rush. I mean, I was, my GM left uh, August 8th, so I've been assuming the role. Uh-oh. So I've been on the Expo Pass line this morning for lunch, and so we just we just barely slowed down. Well, thanks for taking yeah. a break, man. Hey, no problem. This is fun. So Labor Day weekend is upon us, which means a lot of us who are okay with the idea of traveling these days will be hitting the road for a little vacation. I just got back from a trip south of the border. More on that later. And our guests this week, as Rich noted, are two of the best national travel writers around, Andy Wong and Matt Villano. We'll get to their impressive credentials when we talk about them. But first, Bryce, this is the part where we talk about where we've been, where we go, what's cool, what we've discovered, (laughs) what we've eaten, what we've drank. Um, So what do you got for us, man? You know, if we go, if we just go like last night, we do Taco Tuesday now at the house. Uh, My chef, who started the restaurant with me, Dalton Wilson, we now make uh, Taco Tuesday at the house. Whoa. So it's my job to do the guacamole and assorted other little things, but he, we're, we're trying out new ideas for the restaurant at home, so I've been growing a little. This is the next yeah. belly after COVID. This is the Taco Tuesday belly. So what's your guacamole philosophy? Mine is avocado, and I kind of let it look at a bottle of Tabasco, and that's about oh, it. Wow. I put a little pico in there, yeah. a little onions and jalapeno and tomato, Roma tomato mix in there, lime juice, and salt and pepper. That's it. Yeah, it's real Nothing guacamole. else. Real clean. Uh-huh. But I just I discovered that Dalton is allergic to avocados. <laughs> well, that watermelon. makes guacamole <laughs> And Yeah, and so I have to do it so that he I, I save him with his hands getting itchy and, and whatnot, so I have to help him with that part because he can't do it. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. So you told me you also checked out a New Mexican restaurant. Was we that where you, were you spying? on their guacamole yeah right their tacos (laughs) we went to the play days for Lynetta so the gentlemen's uh, who have brought us Mas Por Favor they took over what was once Blue Ribbon Fried Chicken over there by Frankie's Uptown in downtown Summerlin so we walked into play day and it was packed so I was a little nervous (laughs) about getting food it's uh they have Chef Lanny over there with them, and he was killing it in the kitchen. We only stayed in our... Lonnie Chin we're talking yeah. about? Yeah. Okay, great they, chef. They did a very creative thing with uh, the Casa Azul bottles, the beautiful handcrafted bottles. They solder off and, and make the, uh, the bottom part what they serve their margaritas in. So that's, unfortunately, that's all I got from the restaurant that day was a margarita that I had, which was amazing, uh, but I have to go back another time because I didn't get a chance to eat. It leads me to a question about yeah. downtown Summerlin. Yes. I live not too far from there. What is the deal with restaurant success and failure? Because you see oh these places that just died on the vine, and you think, oh, the area is no good. And then, as you said, some new place comes in, and it goes nuts. You kind of feel like it's oversaturated over there yeah. with restaurants. I'll give you my background on that, because when we were at the old DW, which was on Fort Apache, you know, we killed dinner business in the first few years. And then when downtown Summerlin opened, our clients just sort of picked up and moved over. Oh. You know, we had, uh, it was what, Public school, 702, when they yeah. first got started, they had, you know, outdoor games. You had uh, Wolfgang Puck, which opened their first off-the-strip restaurant. You have California Pizza Kitchen. There was limited, but, we, you know, because it was a destination spot with the mall and everything, we lost clientele for the nighttime. But then they started coming back as the restaurants sort of either closed or didn't fulfill the, you know, the requirements. Didn't for quite dinner. live up so to it. If that was my words, yeah. Yeah, I feel like the, the really good restaurants over there tend to do well, but there are oh. so many per the number of customers that they have over there. Right. I would be really nervous. I mean, I don't know anything about operating a restaurant, but I'd be afraid to go in there because <laughs> as far as just getting walk-in traffic, just sure. getting overflow sure. traffic, there it seems like there's a lot of people there, but not for the number of restaurants. So you really, you, you can't just sit back and hope they're going to wander in. You have to attract yeah. your customers if you're over And there. I think they probably will, knowing that people like to go to Moss. You know, it's a little bit busy to get in there. It's hard. It's also tourist-based. So, you know, if this is an extension of their brand development for Mexican food, then they'll, they'll do well there. 
Cool. Okay, so my turn. As I said, yeah. I've been on vacation. We're on Mexico. that in a moment. Mexico, yes. <laughs> um, I need to mention, though, that before I left the country, Rich and I visited 80s to enjoy some dumplings while we were discussing <laughs> audio and video equipment. Dumpling, dumplings, of course, Dan Coughlin's dumplings, always excellent. Mm. Uh, after Rich exited... After Rich exited, Dan brought me out a new item he's thinking of adding to the menu. Some Australian Wagyu, which you cook yourself on a hot rock. So keep an eye out for that at both either at either or both 8 East and the Thai. It was really amazing. Yeah. I liked that rather than going for the fattiest cuts of Wagyu, which of course is how you judge them, he went for a slightly weaner cut, leaner cut, and it was um, of Australian Wagyu. And I thought I had a lot of good time. So mm. keep your eye open for, eyes open for that. I also had a great, great feast with my wife and some friends at Brezza. Um, you know, I'm not going to go into details on the dishes. All I have to say is, you know, Nicole Brisson is probably one of my favorite chefs in this town. And when somebody has that much hype around them and you expect so much from them, you want, you're worried, right? Because sure. you go in expecting it to be perfect or close to perfect. And a lot of times in the beginning, it's not. She delivered. She knocked the ball out of the park on everything. Have you been over there? I have. We, we did a... Um, sort of round robin of restaurant day at uh, um, Resorts, Resorts World. World. We did, um, Dalton and I went early one day and we stopped, grabbed a coffee. Then we made our way over to the um, Suns Out, Buns Out. The <laughs> oh, yeah. The delicious. Yeah. A chicken thigh. We split a chicken thigh breakfast sandwich. And then we kind of walked around. We had a drink at the Mexican restaurant there. We had um, we went to Wally's, which has now become my personal favorite. Over I am there. dying to get oh, into oh Wally's. Oh my god! I went there for lunch, oh uh, 30th wedding anniversary. We did that, little steak fritz. Yep. And a tour of the wine. Yeah. I wants to upsell us on the wine. We ended up buying cognac instead. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there you're dining among the wine, which is cool. Um, and then we went over to Brezza after and just had like just some light pasta and a little dessert. We, that was because that was our fourth or fifth visit to food. So we're like, <laughs> that's we my favorite eat way to eat it. It is. You know, though, do you do yeah. one yeah. course in each place? Oh, and then uh, sorry, we also went to the food court on the way out and had um, the the Filipino um, chicken in a pot with the rice and took that home. It was like the very first spot <laughs> yeah. in there as you come in, and then we walked out with that and ate that at home. So yeah, we we definitely ate our way through. But Wally's now we've been back I think about four or five times. Cool. Yeah, so I need to get in. You, you got to let go. me know when you're yeah, going. We'll, next we'll go. Time. We'll go have the hundred dollar chicken. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because you have to have more people than just two of us eating that. Well, it's funny. I said last Lots. week that Nomad is no longer serving its ninety plus dollar right. chicken. It's it has a new one. So okay, good to know there's a yeah. new hundred dollar chicken in town. <laughs> yeah, because you don't want to go. <laughs> oh man. So uh, speaking of of where we've been, of course, I mentioned that I was down in Cabo San Lucas Amazing. for four or five days, and this is where I want to get a little more philosophical about sure. dining on vacation okay right? yeah. i'm curious when you go on a vacation do you plan is it all about eating at the best restaurants in that city does it depend on where you go do you plan your restaurants in advance uh, what, what's your philosophy on vacation dining i mean it depends on who i go with so if i go with dalton we definitely pre-plan if i go with my husband it's not as much of a culinary jump um and especially again when you go to Cabo, because the last time I went to Cabo, we stayed at an all-inclusive, but the the restaurant, the, their high-end restaurant on site was called Frida, and it was where I had a classic, you know, beautiful uh, tableside margarita made. It was amazing, and we didn't get a chance. I wish I would have known ahead of time in my Cabo mind because I wanted to go to Flora Farms. I wanted, and I didn't realize where we stayed was so far from there. Yeah, um, me too. That was yeah. on my list. Gino Bernardo yep. recommended it. I didn't make it. Everyone was like the very first thing. Did, did you go to Flora Farms? I'm like, no. And then of course the new uh, one over there is Acre. They're the ones doing the new Mezcal, and they have a beautiful sort of restaurant set up over there. Some of our friends here that are part of the Mezcal business over there uh, recommended there, but haven't been back to Cabo yet. So now... Well, it's weird for me because it depends on the type of vacation. If I go to right. a big city, if I, if I go to a huge city, I'm always going to plan exactly. the entire trip around Food. restaurants. And even if I go to Disney World or Disneyland, I'm going to plan my restaurants in advance, and I'm going to know where I'm dining. But if I go to a beach vacation, no, There's you know... a lot of planning there. No, I'm really just about hanging out where everybody hangs out and right. taking in the atmosphere and um, you know a lot of people talk about oh, you have to get what's authentic don't go to where the tourists go but I'm like you know right. I'm going to a tourist place Why? The what's authentic is, is where the tourists go you know like I, I don't understand when you talk about authentic by the way I mean I think the most authentic things you have is when you we, we did a lot of grilling on our deck so you know we yeah. go to the supermarket and you buy the little baked goods on the way oh, out yeah. that's probably the most <laughs> authentic <laughs> probably like if you're in any supermarket even down to a Walmart is yeah. probably the most authentic right. food you're going to get yeah, anywhere that's, right? That's true. I had that in last <laughs> big trip to Paris, which was 10, 12 years ago. Sure. 
before uh, Airbnb, we went to yep. Craigslist and found a little pied de terre. Oh wow! And went to Look the local you. market way the heck out uh, on the way to the, the, the train stations. If you know Garden Leicester, sure. Garden Nord, those neighborhoods yep, yep. in there, tourists don't go to there. The the, the metro stop was Colonel Fabian. Colonel Always Fabian. Re- I remember that. Yeah. I I'll ever find it again. Mm. But go to the little convenience store, get a rotisserie chicken. Yeah, there. it's delicious a, too. And and two bottles of wine, fifty cent red and fifty cent white. <laughs> yeah, right. Nice. Literally half a euro for each one, and it was yeah. fantastic. You know, uh, I like doing that. Uh, but if I was in Paris. I'm sorry, I'd have you to. Have to it would be a Michelin yeah. Guide the whole way. Yeah. And I'd have to have like $20,000 bank account. I, I don't want to get yelled at by the chefs I know who are over there for not visiting their and place. And you definitely have to plan those far in advance because there were, we went to Paris and in 17. And yeah, I mean, there was a couple of places I knew to hit, but you had to know that you wanted to go there, you know, months before because oh, yeah. it's, a, it's a tight... Uh, squeeze to get in a lot of those places back in Europe. Being in Cabo reminded me, uh, it made me think a little bit about going to places we might dismiss as kind of tourist traps, uh-huh. theme restaurants, celebrity party sure. spots, wherever 20-somethings go to get stupid drunk and hook up people whose names, hook up with people oh, whose yeah. names they're never, ever going <laughs> to remember, right? We And we've all been to them, right? And <laughs> especially when we were younger. And it's not my scene anymore, but, you know, I do go to Cabo Wabo whenever okay. I'm down there because Sammy Hagar I've known for years. I mean, we're not yeah. buddies, but, you know, he's a great oh, guy. That's cool. I've interviewed him, you know, many, many times. He's helped me write articles on Kerry, the late Kerry Simon. Uh, you know, he's always been super generous, so I always want to go down and support him. But it got me to thinking about places like Cabo Wabo, Senor Frogs, you know, all those places. Yeah. We dismiss them almost out of hand as if they're not going to be good. Yeah. Now, there certainly may not be culinary experiences, but the truth is... But they're fun. The Cabo yeah. Wabo here yeah. in Las Vegas, Matt Silverman's a great chef. He's a partner in that yeah. restaurant. Senor Frogs here in Las Vegas, um, Chef Paco, Francisco Cortez, um, he was over at El Dorado okay. doing fantastic Mexican yeah, food over yeah. there. He just took a gig over at Senor Frogs. He's doing stuff. So, are, is it unfair to dismiss the, the food at those tourist spots? I mean... I've never been to either one, but you know, we went to we went to to, to go into a touristy spot, not food related, but we went to Omnia in Cabo. Right. To give you an example of what the trip ended up being for me, we had to go see, <laughs> to go see Cascade on the Water. Well, yeah. But for for senior frogs, or, I mean, especially you know, they do the drag brunches, and they have, I mean, they have a great following. Cabo Wabo has a great following. Their location is perfect on the Strip. I would never, you know, it's it just depends on the kind of party you want to have. Yeah, I think that's the deal, right? I think yeah. it, it might be a little unfair. And some yeah. of them have solid food yeah. under all that craziness, right. you know? And right. I, and Obviously, people go there. That's well, the don't forget, yeah. <laughs> Olive Garden's on the strip <laughs> now. <Yeah. laughs> it, it's, it just seems weird to dismiss yeah. tourist sure. places because there can be good chefs in there. Now, yeah. you're not going to get anything exceptional. I don't think I'll ever... you're going to get a good taco. Yeah, I don't think I'm never going to write home and say I had a great meal at Senor Frogs. You all have to go. But I think I could say I went to see the Mail Reviewer. I went to see the Drag Brunch, and I had a good meal by a good chef, and I had a good time while I was doing it. Or so so I've been told after the fact. Well, you know what? Because that's the idea of those places, too. They're means to an end. Yeah, absolutely. And other people have to tell you whether you had yes. fun. But for instance, um, uh, Chef people Paco's, to remind you if you had fun. Chef Paco's been asking me to get into Senor Frog. So if you guys want to come with me, we'll make a reservation. Oh, let's do it. Pronto. Oh, absolutely. let's do it. On the way, details of one of Las Vegas' most exciting food festivals, new cooperative food delivery service, and two more buffets are back. All that after we get the view of Vegas from 30,000 feet, or to mix my metaphor, from 1,000 miles away, this is Food and Loathing. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to Food and Loathing. I'm Al Mancini, once again joined by Jason Harris and our producer, Rich Johnson. But for this segment, a very special couple of guests here. And you know, I mean, Jason, when when we started this thing, one of the things that I had said is I wanted to invite a lot of people that would have been our competitors in my other life at other publications. And I think we've had a lot of great local journalists on, um, you know, people that, that 
they didn't think we were friends with. The outsiders might not have thought we were friends with, but we are because we're one big happy family here in Las Vegas, or at least I'm trying to get it that way. But, um, man, going to the national press is kind of a hot-button issue sometimes because there was a time here in Las Vegas where uh, so many of my fellow local food writers would get so pissed off every time they would read a national journalist talking about Las Vegas. You know, I guess they were mad. They thought we should have been offered the jobs. I never really saw it that way. I think that people who travel the entire country um, have a different perspective on what Las Vegas has to offer. And right today, we're joined by two of the absolute best national um, travel writers and food writers telling us about their perspective on Las Vegas. So quick introduction on who's joining us today. Andy Wang has written regularly about restaurants for publications, including Food and Wine, Los Angeles Magazine, The Rob Report. His works also appeared in The New York Times, New York Magazines, little places like that. Zagat Stories, DuJour, Vegas Magazine, Getting Into the Local Angle, Las Vegas Weekly. Um, I could go on and on and on. He was previously the real estate um, and travel editor at the New York Post. So first and foremost, Andy, man, welcome. I've been a fan of your writing for a very long time. Yeah, thanks, Al. Happy to chop it up. I am going to be a little bit of a dick and just correct the fact that my last name is Wong. I only do it on podcasts. I never corrected people before, but there's this one podcast in LA, um, uh, Air Jordan, which insists on making a big deal of how people always fuck up my name. And that's fine. That name gets fucked up a lot. So no apologies or anything necessary. But I am Andy Wong technically when I'm on podcasts. Okay. Oh. Well, Andy, I stand corrected, man. Thank you. All for good. Doing that. Technically All good. and actually. Yes. Yeah. Also on the line with us, we have Matt. I'm going to try Volano. Matt, I only read you guys, so um, I never chat with you in person. Matt, it's Volano, right? It's Volano. Yep. Cool. Matt's a full-time freelance writer and an editor based in Sonoma County, California. He's been covering Las Vegas for nearly 20 years. In that time, he's written more than 100 features about our fine valley written and updated 15 guidebooks. Um, when he's on the ground, he, co he covers hotels, restaurants, gambling, art, outdoor adventures, entertainment. He averages between eight and 10 visits to Las Vegas a year, usually skipping August. And anybody who's here right now understands that why. Also, you can often find him in the sports book over at Red Rock, which is a nice sports book nursing a crown and soda and yelling at the TVs. Most recently, um, Matt declared Las Vegas one of the world's greatest places in the one and only Time magazine. And shit, that, that right there beats any of my credits and all of them put <laughs> together. So welcome, Matt. How are you, man? Good, man. It's, uh, it's cool to be doing this. I'm, uh, I've been a fan of yours for a while, so it's, it's kind of neat. So gentlemen, there's so much I want to ask you guys about Las Vegas, but let's let's start. We just talked about how often Matt gets to Las Vegas. Andy, how often do you get here um, to Las Vegas as part of your job? Uh, it used to be at least four times a year when I was, I mean, once I started being based out of LA, strangely when I was in New York, because there was such a demand for Vegas coverage, there's like 10 to 12 times a year. Uh, I haven't been back for a year because of the pandemic. I was supposed to be there two weeks ago, actually. But, you know, it's still kind of a weird summer. L.A. County was advising residents not to go to Vegas. And I was working on a magazine story that has a drop date of December. It's a little bit unpredictable to be trying to do that type of print story right now. But I hope to be back in a few weeks. You, you talk about how much the national press comes here. You know, I, I only moved here because I was with ABC News Radio and they were sending people either from L.A., or New York here all the time. And I just kind of said, guys, why don't you just move my ass out there? My money is going to go a lot further if I'm out here and you won't have to pay airfares. So, um, you know, I, I, I know that there seems to be a serious demand. Is it growing or is it, is it where it always was uh, for the national editors? Do they want stories about Las Vegas as much as they always did? I think they do. I mean, there's been, I've been covering Vegas for 15 plus years and there's never been really like any type of world event or anything that's like slowed down the appetite for people wanting coverage in Vegas. And I think one thing that happened is a lot of publications, you know, whatever, 10, 15, I mean, in some cases more like years ago, started being able to like look online at their numbers and you would be editing these travel sections like I did at the New York Post. You had great budgets. You could send people fucking anywhere. You could do cool ass stories about Antarctica or Dubai or the Maldives or some shit. 
And then you'd look at the traffic and people really just wanted coverage of like Florida theme parks, cruise ships, and Las Vegas. <laughs> and I didn't give a shit about those other two. So I'm like, okay, fine. I'll take Vegas and then I'll also take LA. So that's kind of how it happened for me. But it was just literally like you predicted pre-internet that this is what people wanted. And then it was, you know, validated for better and for worse. Like when the internet happened. How about you, Matt? Are people still clamoring for Vegas news? They are. I think the clamoring is driven by something different now. Um, Back in uh, the middle part of last decade, I was running an original content program for Expedia. And at that point, Expedia wanted Vegas content because they were selling the most trips to Vegas. And uh, I don't necessarily know if uh, traditional media editors were taking the destination seriously then. And I think now, uh, especially after Vegas survived COVID, I get a real vibe from my, my editors that um, that they're starting to take Vegas seriously and that it's actually a place where people can go to do stuff other than get wasted, get laid or get lucky. Um, uh, but, but that there are actually some, some really legitimately cultural experiences to be had and, uh, and that they should be writing about them. Where do you guys stay when you come to Vegas? Let's start there. Are you always in hotel casinos on the strip? Do you stay downtown? Do you, do you mix it up, stay in more than one hotel on each trip? Uh, do you ever do the Airbnb? You know, I just threw 12 questions at you, but take it from wherever you want to go from there. I'm staying at Resorts World for the first time. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm chasing stories. So, obviously, I'm going to stay uh, at the, in the newest spot, whether it's a brand-new casino or a, a re- room refresh. Uh, but I do mix it up. I try to stay downtown uh, every, every other visit, if not every second visit. I try to get out to the suburbs, uh, particularly as Summerlin has expanded. And, um, and I try to do some camping out in the hinterlands as well, if I can, and it's not too freaking hot. How about you, Andy? So, I mean, the answer to, you know, your 12 questions really is just <laughs> yes. I mean, when I was supposed to come a couple of weeks ago, I was going to stay at Resorts World, you know, multiple towers within Resorts World. Uh, I was going to stay at Circa. I was going to go to Virgin because obviously part of the job is to check out the new hotness. But I stayed, you know, on the strip downtown, you know, at whatever the new hotel was or whatever the renovated hotel was for years and years. I've also stayed like in apartments like west of the strip, uh, you know, like on Flamingo that gave you easy access to Chinatown. You were closer to Summerlin. You know, there have been times where like during World Series of Poker, I spent a couple of weeks like in share houses with poker players and all that. So I've had a pretty diverse experience because all of it's pretty good in Vegas. Uh, Matt, I want to follow up on something you said about what you feel like editors are looking for now with unique cultural experiences. Can you give an example of something in Vegas that is, you know, a little off the radar that, uh, you know, readers are looking for? I mean, area 15 is the, is the example that comes to mind right away. Um, when they were building that thing, I think editors had no fucking clue what it was. And, 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 you know, to be fair, it's a lot of different things and it's hard to describe or explain in one sentence, but now that it's open and now that Omega Mart in particular is just so goddamn cool, it's um, I think editors are realizing like, wow, that is legit. It's not just a place for people to go and piss their money away. Like it is really cool art that is not happening anywhere outside of New Mexico, which obviously is not a very popular destination, <laughs> uh, uh, especially to people you know coming from, let's say, the East Coast. Right. And so um I think uh, I, I, that's uh, in, in the last few months alone, uh, I've seen a huge demand for that. And, um, and, and it's really exciting because it's, it's definitely different from how things were and how things played out before the pandemic started. How much is food a part of your coverage for the two of you? How important is it that you are really checking out what the, how the restaurant scene changes and evolves? I mean, Andy, obviously you write for food and wine and, and food-based publications, but for the two of you, what percentage of, of the Las Vegas experience is food? It used to be honestly 20, 30%. But again, like I said, I've been doing this for 15 years, lots of things open, lots of things got better. And then it just kept skewing upwards to the point where honestly, probably 80 to 90% of what I cover is on some level food related or nightlife related. But as you know, half the nightlife and half of the day life in Vegas, like is also connected to food. So yeah, it's a huge part of it. 
I have a little bit of a different experience, which is great um, because uh, diversity is the spice of life, right? I mean, I um, food is part of what I'm doing, uh, but it's it's usually connected to something else. So um, I'll write about a cocktail program, and uh, we'll we'll bring in food, or I'll write a trend story about dining in Chinatown or dining off Strip, and um, and food is as much a part of that story as business might be, right? And so um, uh, it's definitely on my radar screen, but I would say it does not come com- it does not make up more than thirty to forty percent of both my time on the ground and my coverage. You both mentioned Chinatown already. So how much of your coverage is being devoted to neighborhoods off the strip? I mean, I would say that in the last couple of years, and like I said, I haven't been able to visit that much in the last year, but I still managed to write about off strip restaurants. I mean, it's definitely more. I mean, it's probably 75, 25 uh, strip versus off strip. But if you think about it, like that's a huge showing for off strip, given how many more restaurants and prominent restaurants are on the strip. What is the hottest new thing right now? Well, you mentioned Area 15, right? So that's clear. And you've mentioned Resorts World. And and Matt, by the way, in your article in Time, you mentioned that tunnel. And one of these days, you're going to have to explain to me why I'm supposed to be excited over Elon Musk's tunnel, because I've yet to figure that one out. But um, I won't put you on the spot to speak for Elon right now. But w- what else are people super excited about when they think of Vegas? Because, you, you know, you're the ones that are being asked by editors. So, no, I mean, people are excited about Delilah right now just because I think people have been cooped up for so long. And when they see celebrities and, you know, celebrity adjacent influencers posting about something that looks like the before times or looks like a more extreme version of something that they used to do in terms of the design and the whole experience. Uh, You know, obviously, Resorts World, I mean, going back to Area 15 for a second, you know, just a weird piece of trivia in terms of how this in my opinion, turns into a crazy national story. If you look up Winston Fisher, who's behind Area 51 and Fisher Brothers, like at his New York real estate history and how much he used to party in a past life, it's just like one of the most colorful people, uh, you know, in New York business. And he decided to come to Vegas. And there's been a lot of people in New York who've done that sort of, you know, quietly and not so quietly. And that just adds another element to editors wanting to cover this stuff. Right. I, uh, I look, I'll quickly address the tunnel issue. Um, I don't actually get it either, Al, but <laughs> you know, the reality is people find Elon intriguing and you know what mentioning Elon and all the money he's putting into Las Vegas <clears throat> is a way to drive traffic and it's a way to get eyeballs. And so I, I, I can appreciate that. Um, but yeah, no, I don't really get it. And I also, I'm a, I'm a New York guy natively. And so I don't mind walking, um, it's part of the reason why I don't usually go in August because walking in August really is you, 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 you pit out after about five minutes and that's it. Um, but no, in terms of what people are talking about, I, I read a lot about gambling and um, m- mobile betting is still front of mind uh, for, for that market. Um, and of course, you, when you tie that into Circa Sports and what Derek built down uh, downtown with Circa and uh, particularly that pool, um, Stadium Swim, I mean, it's, you know, sports betting has been a story for the last couple of years. And I think it, I think Derek is at this point, single-handedly driving it into, into, you know, into the next decade, quite frankly, I think uh, by the end of this decade, every, every casino on the strip is going to have a pool like his. Um, The other thing I'll say just super quick uh, is, um, is that I'm really compelled by what happens downtown after Tony Shea's death. Uh, He really left a a gaping hole in, uh, in, in that part of, for the city and um people are people don't really know what to do i mean uh you yeah. know you guys are there all the time so you, you see it and i know uh, you've written about it but um it's really going to be interesting to see what kind of lawsuits come out of this and 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 where the chips fall and uh uh it's it's sad but it also presents a new opportunity for the next uh, Tony Shetta step in and uh, and and sort of mold that part of the city in uh, her or his own own uh, own vision. So uh, I'm excited to follow that. So, so Matt, go ahead. No, Andy, go go you go. No, I was just saying that like Matt, you're connecting a lot of these dots about what's hot now and what's next because I agree that like 
what Derek Stevens has done with mobile betting and all that, like this is going to have, have huge implications, not just on Vegas, but just on how, how bets are placed like all over the world, you know, until the end of time. And somebody like Tony had this huge imprint, but there's still so much that could be done there. And obviously I think that's why something like the tunnel is important because people just gravitate toward like these thinkers and these creators who are doing the next thing, even if they think it makes no fucking sense, you know, like, there's a company in Vegas. I'm friends with these guys. Uh, it's CoinCloud. It's like one of the biggest Bitcoin ATM companies. And the reason that this is significant recently is they're the ones who spent all the money buying the fucking Spike Lee TV ad for crypto. That's a Vegas company. So there's just like all these digital things happening in Vegas. And as you know, in the last year, because of things that have happened in restrictions, there are definitely a lot of people in places like Silicon Valley who are just like, fuck it. Do we need to go to Texas or Vegas or Miami so we can work? And I think that some of these things actually have gone to Vegas and they're going to keep going. All right. So you're talking about all these big thinkers and billionaires and Virgin is not coming up other than that. We mentioned it once. Where <laughs> is Virgin going wrong right now where all the others are going right? Well, I mean, start with bet Fred. They got it. They got to ditch that whole sports book relationship. Um, I just think it's a mess. Uh uh, and uh, to be, be honest, there's just it's it's a hard sell. It was a hard sell when it was hard rock. I mean, you know, really, people just went for the brand um, and not much else. I mean, Nobu, maybe when the when the restaurant first opened. But um, uh, it's a tough it's a tough draw out in that part of the city. Um, I don't I don't quite know how to fix it. They need some progressive jackpot where basically if you hit fucking whatever five aces and pie gal. He sends you to space or something. I don't know, man. <laughs> well, you know, it That's was a good solution. Uh, I remember I, I was at the Virgin opening and I, I threw Richard, Sir Richard, what I thought was a softball. And I said, um, you know, Sir Richard, there are a lot of brands here that people know. And I went through all the, you know, Mohegan Sun, et cetera, uh, Hilton. I said, but, you know, you're the biggest name here. What does Virgin bring to the table? You know, what is Virgin putting on this? And um, he didn't he, he mentioned something about like the soap in the hotel rooms. I mean, it was he just he didn't really have a prepared answer for that. And I thought that was a little odd. I mean, I thought he would talk about cross promoting with his other brands. And, you know, so that that one just struck me. I mean, I wasn't trying to catch him. It wasn't a gotcha question, you know, and it, it, that seems to be a little reflective of them not really knowing what they're selling is because I still think it's a beautiful building. There are some really good restaurants. There are some surprises in there. Um, their tea service on Sunday, huge surprise for me. The Cassie Beach House, I expected to hate and I yeah. love the place. One of the best you know? new restaurants of the year. But nobody's Those guys are good operators in LA. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So guys, I want to get some general tips from travel writers. I want to talk about you. You show up in Vegas. Could you walk me through it? What's the people want to know? How do you get to the hotel? Do you know, do, are you taxi guys, Uber guys? What's it like checking in? Any tips for cutting through the line to check in? You know, I, we want to get to the down and dirty of the, the road dogs. What it's like when you check in, do you still try to tip somebody for an upgrade? I mean, you know, anything that you could tell people about how they should arrive in Las Vegas. Well, I, I if I can start here, um, the pandemic forced me to, to reconsider how I get to Vegas. So I'm coming from NorCal. Uh, I could drive it. It's 10 hours. But um, since I've started go going back, I've been flying on JSX, which is essentially private charter. I mean, it's like a, you know, a, whatever, like a 30, 35 seat plane uh, flies out of small executive airports, flies into the executive airport. It's so easy and it's so fast. And uh, ride shares get there in half the time. They love picking you up over by this uh, executive terminal there at McCarran because it's, they don't have to wait in the queue. They don't have to uh, go out of their way to schlep to the new terminal. Um, and so I've noticed that it shaves probably 45 minutes off of my arrival and departure, you know, uh, uh, rigmarole. And, um, and it's, that's worth, the extra hundred bucks it usually costs to, to to fly them from the Bay Area. So right off the bat, that's a change that I've made uh, since uh, coming out of COVID. And um, I'm not sure I'm ever going to fly a commercial airline into Vegas again. <laughs> it's yeah, really I've, nice. I've, I've, I've taken same JSX from LA. Yeah, same from LA. It's not that much more expensive. Sometimes, strangely, it's less expensive. And then these other upgrades that you pay for, like you can rent a nicer car and pay a little bit more from you know the jsx terminal and yeah you're paying maybe a couple hundred dollars more but it is 
kind of worth it if you put a premium on your time at all, which you kind of should be doing in Vegas because you're in Vegas. Do you rent a car when you guys come to town? You mentioned cars, especially if you want to explore off the strip. Do you prefer to do ride share or do you like having a rental car? And does the parking fee affect how you've, you've approached that? Uh, I have historically like rented cars. I mean, yeah, you know, the parking's gone, you know, not just more expensive. It's gone from free to actual money and that's annoying. But like if I'm going to more than like three or four neighborhoods in Vegas in a trip, I tend to rent a car. Yeah, for me, it's all about my itinerary and my expected alcohol and cannabis intake. If I know if I know I'm going to be fucked up, uh, I am not going to rent a car because inevitably I'm going to leave that car and then have to deal with going and getting it the following morning, which is just a pain in the ass. I don't know. Renting a car makes me more likely to go to the dispensary for some reason, because it just seems like hard. I'm running an errand. Yeah, let me ask you guys a question, because one of the things I've tried to do on this podcast is talk a bit about cannabis edibles. And I, I doing it not because I'm a big, you know, giant cannabis edibles consumer, but because I feel like the traditional food and beverage press has just ignored it completely. Uh, what's you, what's the appetite out there in the national press to write about about smokables and edibles? No pun intended. The appetite for edibles. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm very it, much intended to, to me. It's 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 still a sideshow. Um, you know, I um I have I've had some great experience, uh, great opportunities over the years to write uh, really sort of offbeat stories for CNN, which is one of my regular clients. And um, when that cannabisian, the cannabis museum opened up downtown, they let me cover that. Um, but it didn't get much traffic. And, um, you know, again, I, I think I think it's still a curiosity for the mainstream, uh, uh, which makes sense if you really think about it. Um, just from a demographic perspective, but um, uh, I'm not going to stop trying to sell those stories because I think they're great stories. And especially with the lounges opening up uh, potentially before the end of this year, um, that's a sick trend story that honestly, I think we're going to see here in California before you know it. And so uh, this is an example of Vegas really leading the charge, so to speak out here on the West coast. And um, uh, yeah, uh, sooner or later, somebody has got to start taking that, seriously yeah um okay I, there's so many things i want to get to so i apologize if i'm jumping around but um as people who tra who cover travel nationally i would like you to address the vegas locals who all they do is bitch and moan about the fees and the prices and everything on the strip do they have a legitimate gripe are our resort fees higher than they are in other cities is our parking fee outlandish or are Vegans, Las Vegans just spoiled from all the years of getting everything handed to them? But that is part of the legitimate gripe that we're spoiled from all the years of having everything handed to us. Yeah, you are spoiled. I mean, that is correct. Like, look, I was just in New York, which, yes, I know is a fucking expensive city, but you're paying $30 resort fees that were basically you were getting water, maybe a fucking newspaper and Wi-Fi. And obviously parking was like $80 a day if you had a car. You know, and I would not encourage having a car in Manhattan, but that's beside the point. I was an idiot. I had one for various reasons. So this is the type of thing that you just are used to paying if you travel all over. And in other cities, like there are more restrictions in terms of cancellation fees and all this other shit. So, yeah, a lot of it is just I understand you completely have every right to complain Vegas locals. But, yeah, you just got a lot of stuff subsidized for years that wasn't really happening anywhere else. I think that sums it up, Matt. Anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I, I live in I live in wine country, and um, you know, there's there's sort of a wine country spin on the same on the same issue. You know, everybody here in Healdsburg, which is where I live, complains about the fact that there are no you know sort of mid market restaurants. There's never any parking. Blah blah blah. And uh, uh, yeah, there's some legitimacy to that for from a local's perspective. But at the same time, you know, you live in a tourist destination where the economy is driven by people who come here and and pay that shit. And so, in a sense, our, our way of life is, is on some level, it's foundational to, to, to that. And so, um, you know, I think the complaints are legitimate. But at the same time, I also think Vegas wouldn't be Vegas without uh, tourists coming in and, and, and supporting that part of the economy. Uh, just like, uh, you know, uh, people uh, coming to wine country and, you know, shelling out uh, 
a 700 bucks for uh, you know, a, a dinner for two with a wine pairing at, at a restaurant down the street from where I'm sitting right now, you know? So uh, it's, uh, it's just part, part of the beast, I guess. Part, right. part of and, the game. And for better or worse, like these casinos don't need, or I mean, they shouldn't really like be in the business of courting like these, you know, nickel and dime comp players who want $49 rooms and free parking, all this other shit, because it's like one of the big branding issues with Nomad, and I heard this from multiple people, right? Is you would go to like the VIP desk at Nomad, right? And the VIP desk was also the people who basically like just had all the comp offers from like playing slots at like fucking MGM properties. So you'd be somebody who wanted to go to Nomad, heard it was like this nice transporting experience without realizing that the fucking whatever floor plan was still the Monte Carlo, not great. And you'd be in line and somebody literally walking up just trying to like figure out like how to get their free buffet or how do I get my $20 match play? And it immediately kills the fucking fantasy of you wanting to spend a lot of money in this place and you just go to Bellagio or something. Yeah, I wonder how that's going to turn out with El Dorado taking over Caesars because that is a very different brand than the luxury brand that uh, Caesars has been for the last few decades. Guys, while we're talking, well, to to turn the conversation back to food, um, room service. You guys spend a lot of time in hotel rooms. Are there any um, room service menus? Because this is something I can't report on. I never, I'm never in a hotel in Las Vegas, rarely. Uh, And I'm not eating at room service when I am. But, you know, when I stayed at the Nobu Hotel, I was like, shit, there's really good stuff on the room service menu here, like stuff that's not in Nobu. And that that was awesome. So that's my example. Like if you're going to stay at Nobu, definitely order from room service. There are any other places where room service is worth it here in Vegas? Nobu is my number one. I mean, Wynn Wynn still does a nice job on their room service. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, checking out uh, Crockford's room service at Resorts World. Because, uh, you know, the deal with their room service uh, and Conrad, the deal with their room service is you can get food from any of the on-site restaurants um, and F&B outlets, for that matter, delivered to your room. So I'm, I'm actually looking forward to trying that out. All right. I'm just a fanatic and I'm kind of stupid about this, but I have been over the years. And as much as I love the fact that Sedell's is there, the room service spaghetti bolognese at Bellagio is really fucking good. And they had a version of it at the 24-hour cafe that ended up being Sedell's. And there'd be days where, for whatever reason, I would just like crave it at 730 in the morning and just go fucking eat it. And then there'd be times where I didn't want to go downstairs and I would just have it sent to me at like midnight or something. But in seriousness, I agree with Matt, like Wynn is really good at it. If you actually look at their room service menu, I mean, I'm not exaggerating. It's like 20 fucking pages and you can get Mm -hmm. caviar and you can get king crab and you can get good pastas. You can get Chinese food and Japanese food. And in terms of Chinese food, it's not just like noodles and fried rice. Like there's like freshly rolled dim sum. So if you just decide that like you want to have one of those nights where you just want a bunch of people over in your room or whatever, you just want to read a book or some shit. It's like, yeah, stay at win and just order. You can order a feast and it's pretty good. What right now are your favorite places? Not that you're excited to get to, but your favorite places that you've already been to in the last few trips to Las Vegas. Well, I, I mean, every single visit that I've made in at least the last decade, uh, I'll swing by Atomic for a drink and I don't get anything fancy. I just love that space. I love the history of that space. You know, it's usually like Jameson or, you know, uh, Crown. And we're Soda talking about Atomic Liquors on Fremont, not the Atomic Saloon, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. Atomic <laughs> Liquors. Right, right. Yeah. And, you know, they added a food menu. It was decent for a while. And then it, it, it's it's not, not so great anymore. But uh um, that's a must for me. Um, and again, it's, I, I don't, I, I don't necessarily know if, you know, that's sort of the, the pinnacle, but, uh, it's a must for me. I'll be there at some point, uh, between uh, noon Sunday and, uh, 5 PM Tuesday coming up this, this week. Uh, cause, uh, you know, it's, that's, that's part of the tradition. For me in Chinatown, there's this one strip mall that I just call the Raku strip mall. Everybody who lives <laughs> in Vegas knows which one it is. There've been many times where I've gotten straight off a plane you know, from New York and just gone straight there because it opens really, really late and you can just go eat there at 1 a.m. And obviously Raku's there. I mean, I haven't been there in a year, but when I was there, obviously like Raku was just always good for like late night skewers and izakaya Japanese drinking food. I liked, you know, the fact that like Big Wong raised prices from like $5 to $5 and 40 cents and then to $6 and they felt bad about it because you could just go get a nice Taiwanese pork chop there, you know, for $5 when they opened. Manta had good ramen, you know, Kabuto, despite the fact that the chef left, you know, still had very solid, you know, like fancier, you know. And, you know, he is, at Yui, 
You know, he's yes. at Yui Edamai Sushi, which is awesome, by the way, if you miss his food. Yeah, so that, that so like, I just love that, how much that strip mall has endured. And obviously, I've got tons of stuff on the strip, but it seems like consistently, I would always go eat one meal in that strip mall at some point during that trip. Yeah, Endo definitely changed the game when he opened uh, Raku, and then uh, it seems like everything around there has to be up to his level of approval, oh, yeah. which, is, which Raku. is good. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, Sweet Rock is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah late and, night on my and, way back from the strip. That's where I stopped for dessert at Sweet Rock. Yeah. Guys, we've talked about Chinatown. Uh, Matt, I know you mentioned Tivoli Village in Time Magazine, which was pretty amazing. Um, we've talked about Tony Shea and what he did downtown. Didn't mention the Arts District. So I'm curious, between the Arts District, Water Street and Henderson, maybe the Henderson Booze District, do any of those three register for you guys yet as like as really must-visit locations for a trip? Yeah, Arts District for sure. I mean, I was going to go to Soul Valley two weeks ago when I was supposed to be in Vegas. I think that um, uh, when Esther's Kitchen and Jammy Land essentially happened at the same time and different national writers started going there, you know, they realized like, okay, these are just would basically be great neighborhood restaurants in any neighborhood in America. But you know what? That's fucking more significant in Vegas because in Vegas, you need that more. You need alternatives to all this other glitzy shit. And so, I mean, yeah, I think that the Arts District definitely registers. And it's a place that I always tell people just to go check out during the day and at night. Matt, I'm going to let you wrap up our segment with this. What what other neighborhoods? Boy, that's a lot of pressure. Um, I would agree about the... The Arts District uh, and Makers and Finders is probably still my favorite coffee shop to go and get some work done. But, um, you know, I spend a lot of time out in Summerlin. Uh, you mentioned uh, at, at the start of the show, Al, that uh, my favorite sports book in town is still Red Rocks. And uh, uh, when I come to Vegas and I'm off the clock, which happens once every year in March, um, I just basically uh, become sort of a, a Summerlin bum. And um, I, I think, uh, you know, everything out there is, is, uh, is really uh, exciting from the ballpark to some of the restaurants that are downtown uh, to what's happening out in Tivoli. You know, if you look to sort of the hinterlands of the hinterlands um, just a cool place to be. And uh, uh, part of the reason I directed people out to Tivoli in that timepiece is because uh, sort of a personal mission of mine to get the average visitor to really start thinking beyond the strip, uh, which is still a big challenge quite frankly, even though people like uh, the five of us on this call know better, uh, you know, uh, it's still a big challenge to get folks who come maybe once every four years to, you know, even entertain the idea of dining somewhere that's not on Las Vegas Boulevard. So uh, I'm going to keep trying to do that as best I can. Please, if you will both keep doing that, we will appreciate it. I hope to see both of you during your next visits to Las Vegas in person, maybe share a drink, hopefully not even have to have a face mask on, but I don't want to get too wishful at this point. Um, just seeing you in person would be great. Thank you for your time, everybody. This is Food and Loathing. Welcome back to Food and Loathing. I'm Al Mancini with Bryce Krausman and our producer, Rich Johnson. And it is time for the news. Right off the bat, I have some big news on the Vegas Unstripped Festival, which will return on October 16th at a downtown Las Vegas location still to be announced. I just came from a press event to announce the chef lineup. And it's pretty damn impressive, if I do say so myself. Um, God, I'm looking at this list of participating chefs. Many of them were there at this event. Um, Chef Oscar Amador, Gina Bernardo, Johnny Church, John Arena, Francesco DiCaldo, Sonia Al-Nawal, Justin Kingsley Hall, Brian Howard, Bruce Kalman, Karis Kawana, one of my favorite dessert chefs, Gary Lamorte, Jimmy Lee of Shanghai Taste, Gina Marinelli, it just keeps going on and on. Wow, wow. Mark Marone, Gio Moro, Matt Meyer, Floriana Pastore, Ralph Perrazzo, Michael Stamm, Jackson Stamper, <laughs> Jamie Tran, James Trees, Michael yeah, yeah, yeah. Van Keen, Kai Vu, Kai Vu Steve Young, um, and I just heard somebody else was going to be in it. They just texted me, but I don't have that name to add. Wow. But I mean, damn, that is a lot of chefs participating in this event on October 16th at an unannounced location in downtown Las Vegas, location. man. What this do you is, think, man? This is quite the who's who of uh, Vegas chefs in here. You know, it's funny. They started this off kind of as Yeah, they, how many years has this been going on? I don't know the number because we had a COVID in between and oh, yeah, kinda, yeah. I lost count with the... I can't do the simple subtraction. Sure, sure. But, you know, this was kind of started as a flipping the bird to um, 
to Vegas Uncorked, but now that mm. Vegas Uncorked's not really here anymore, um, okay. you know, it's become a thing of its own. Okay. Actually, instead of me talking about it, let's just hear what some of the chefs told me today. Let's start with Gary Lamort, who emceed the last event, but he's cooking this time around. Well, I'm a much better chef than I am MC. number one. Uh, number two, I think it's a good time in the community for us to kind of re-engage with each other and um, remember what breaking bread together is like and, and um, you know, just kind of getting back that positivity and that kind of community vibes and uh, shaking off the stigma of, you know, a couple tough years. Mark Marone is also back this year. Uh, I'm just super excited to work with all these chefs again and, you know, it's a great event that really features you know, all the great guys in town, all the great talent, and it's always exciting to not be tied to a specific concept or a brand and be able to just do some food, cool food and exciting stuff for the city. And I chatted with Soul Belly's Bruce Kalman. This is going to be my first one, so I'm very excited about it. They, these guys have been talking to me about it for years, uh, the, you know, the last couple of years, and uh, I was disappointed that we couldn't do it this past year, obviously. Uh, so I'm super excited, you know, especially now that I'm part of this downtown project and, you know, just this whole thing boom going on the arts district the brewery row and it's going to be right right down there it's be, i'm excited about it another newcomer to the event floriana pastori she's an international pizza expo best of the best champion and she's also the operator of the local senora pizza truck this is the first time i'm very excited to see how it will be but for sure it will be great because uh, you know eric uh, uh, I knew Eric, and uh, so I trust him 100%, and I'm proud to be part of this event. So let's see, let's wait. I can't, I can't wait to see. And the operator of Las Vegas' best diner, I'm not afraid to say that. I don't think anybody's going to challenge me on it. Johnny Church of Johnny C's Diner will be participating. Great to have events back again and doing stuff like this, and the world's coming alive again, so to speak. So pretty stoked. I don't know what dish I'm going to do yet, but something. Maybe a fatty melt with a foie gras fatty melt. I don't know. And Steve Young, who recently moved from the Edge Steakhouse to Asalito Posto in Tivoli Village. Well, I think it's uh, I think it's pretty unique, uh, especially with this lineup. You know, it really showcases what else uh, Las Vegas has to offer besides just the strip dining. So a lot of the good choices for sure. There were a lot more people there today, but um, I could have chatted with more of them. But there's only so much time on this podcast. Bryce, what do you think, man? I mean, hearing Bruce uh, in there as the first, you know, I'm so impressed with him as a, not a, just a restaurateur, but a performer. You know, I was there the week he opened and he was up there playing guitar and singing. He's incredible. We had him here when we did some guest chef series where he was uh, he was barbecuing out in the in the parking lot for Gramercy. And I think for four days, the whole entire place still smelled like barbecue. He's amazing. I, I, his food is so great. I feel like Bruce has been, there have been so many great restaurants that opened in the arts district yeah. during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were others that were there before the pandemic, sure. but you know, people that really opened up in the middle of it. But, and, and I'm not going to say who my favorite is. I love yeah. Main Street Provisions. Sure. I love Good Pie. Yep. But the thing about uh, Soul Belly is it's kind of like a honky tonk, right? It's got yep. a great stage there. Great performers come up there. And I feel like you know, in the old days before a cell phone, before cell phones, mm-hmm. you had to have a home base in every neighborhood where you yeah. could always just run into your friends. Garagiste, where I ran into oh, you yeah. <laughs> in the arts district, has been like that for me during this yes. um, pandemic. You could just show up. But I feel like Soul yeah. Belly, sandwiched between two brew, brew pubs, basically, yeah. Yeah. Um, serving up barbecue with a honky-tonk. If I'm going to spend a day downtown, yeah. that just seems like a cool place to just make home base and hope you bump into everybody. I mean, I think I had somewhat of an emotional experience going to his place because he was... And, be, and, and having him here, he is sort of a one-man show sometimes that way that we saw a lot of... I, mean, I took Dalton. We saw a lot of ourselves in him, the way that he was... He was there carving the meat, but he's also there greeting guests. He's also up there. His son was there. I mean, he's he's worked the room like it's his home. And I remember him... I remember him taking me through the space before it was finished. And just how... Exci- I mean, I get goosebumps talking about him because, I mean, this list is... Uh, Gary, I love... I just, yeah, I just sat with him here at the restaurant recently. He gave me some excellent advice. I think any restaurant who's by themselves, the aligning with other chefs and chef-owned restaurants is important or chef-owned groups. Um, Brian Howard, of course... Um, um, Steve Young, who I, I haven't met him yet. I, I, I've been to Osalito many times now, and that's what Emily was still there. Um, but his food, I've, I, I, I've had his food because I've been in there uh, while he was the chef. 
Um, this is a good list. Sonia, Sonia, I think she's just closing Rooster Boy. She's getting ready for something new. Um, Oscar, I haven't met him, but I'm hearing really good things about Idiotopus. I haven't ever been, but I, I know there may be some rumor mills around here. Uh, yeah, him, you're going to so. have to whisper in my ear because I haven't heard whatever rumors you've heard. <laughs> so, But we will get to that. This is great. <laughs> wow. Gina, um, yeah, it's a good list. I've never been to Carrie's Sweets. Are you going to tell me about Carrie's? Carrie's Guanas. I want to try that. Yes. I'm always um, down for sweets. Cool. Also in the news, a new delivery service in town is getting a lot of press. The company is called Loco. And uh, no, yes, the company is called Loco. And as Rich pointed out to me, it was recently featured in Nevada Current. Rather than take you through the rundown of who they are and what they do from that article, I spoke to the woman who has brought Loco to Las Vegas. I asked her to explain what it's all about. Here you go, Kristen Corral. So I guess the most basic question that I'm going to start with is, what is Loco? Uh, So Loco is basically a food delivery co-op that's owned and operated entirely by restaurants. So what does that mean for the restaurants? Lower fees, lower commissions? Yeah, so typically restaurants are paying 33 to 35% on average if they're using Grubhub, DoorDash, or Uber Eats. Um, With Loco, they get 15% commission to start, and then the goal is to continue to lower that um, because everyone's kind of like a voting member of the co-op. So our ultimate goal is to have the lowest fees and then still give the customer, you know, the best product. So you're up and running right now, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we have like 40 restaurants live now on the platform, and that's kind of in the downtown area and the Southwest Summerlin area. And then we're just kind of building from there. We're adding restaurants every week. We have about 75 signed up that just aren't live yet. It's it's a lot of logistics to kind of get restaurants on, make sure you have drivers, all these things. So we definitely have some more waiting in the wings too. Now, this is already taking place in other cities, right? But you're just the person responsible, not just, but you are the person responsible for bringing it to Las Vegas. Am I getting that correct? Yeah, yeah. So it's actually, it was started in Iowa City under the name Chomp um, by John Sewell. And he decided that it went so well there that he would kind of just like franchise the model to other cities so that they could take it and run with it. And so we've bought the rights to that franchise myself and our partners, Carlos, my husband, and then Dan and Regina Simmons. So you said you have about 50 restaurants. Can you run down some of the three or four of the more prominent, maybe five or six of the more prominent ones? Yeah. So um, down here, we've got, I mean, I would say most of the restaurants downtown are participating. We've got Taco Tarian, our Ghost Kitchen Underground Burger. Cornish Pasty is killing it. And they've only been on a week and they're doing a lot of delivery. Um, you've got Golden Fog. You've got Soul Belly. You've got Main Street Provisions. Um, in the Southwest, you've got Volcano Grill. Um, you've got uh, Tarantino's, you've got Taco Tarian. I mean, yeah, there's yeah. there's so many I could. You've got Honey Salt, which is a big one, um, so many. So um, you, I spoke about how this is different for the restaurants in that it's a lower commission. How is this a different experience for the customer than the delivery apps they're used to using? Or is it just the same and just as convenient? Um, it is just as convenient. Um, obviously, I think a lot of people are like, want it in their area. And so some people are voicing questions like, I can't get, Um, You know, I can't get Cornish Pasty. I live in Summerlin. Some of the other platforms have expanded their delivery radiuses because they were so desperate for customers. So they expanded and were delivering 10 or 15 miles across town. But what that means is that that means that driver only makes, you know, $2 for that hour because it takes them an hour to complete one delivery. Um, So we're keeping our radiuses tighter right now. But in general, for the customer, it's a very similar experience. They order from an app or from the website. Um, Someone picks up their food and brings it to their door. Now, our drivers have more training. Um, They go through a more rigorous hiring process. So the um, the idea is that we have, you know, better paid, better quality drivers that are um, that are excited to be doing their job. And how can people get involved? How can people use it? Is it an app? Is it a website? Where can they find it? So it's both. So you can either go to locovegas.coop or you can search Get Loco in your Play or App Store and download the app. So Bryce, what do you think? <laughs> I'm, I, I was pulling this up while this interview was going on. I'm looking it up. Yeah. So these are all Taco Tarian veterans that are invested in this here in this franchise, it looks like. Yeah. And I, I believe firefly as well yeah. so yeah uh, what do you it's think great. of the idea of kind of doing a, a cooperative delivery service because you know the delivery companies Absolutely. despite advertising how much they wanted to help local restaurants they took oh, yeah, a big took chunk a, of your money yeah we i mean so first off obviously postmates and uber eats merging together and now i think uber and toast is I, i'm seeing I, you know there's so many merger situations and based on your pos system and based on there's so many there's so many ways to get your food delivered or to to go we we've 
So we've we've sort of mostly relied on our clients in the radius and having them pick up on their own and order through our website, which is helpful because then we don't we're not on the phone taking to go orders because we have a lot of businesses that order for the office, so they just go on and order themselves on our website. But yeah, I mean Grubhub is a major one, major player here, and they take a large percentage of your <laughs> and it doesn't always come out correct. The way I mean their drivers are you know we all have had experiences with drivers. I'm I'm happy that there's the contactless delivery now yeah yeah i don't want to see <laughs> yeah i don't want to see the state of your car when i come out to get my food um nobody's taking a french fry <laughs> oh yeah is it nicely sealed, <laughs> it sealed too, please so things are still sealed uh yeah i, I mean I'm, I'm definitely curious about this cool. for well sure. i hope it catches on yeah. um rich yeah. has at least one more piece of news we're going to get to and then we got to get to edibles so rich, oh, tell oh, us yeah. what you got uh, in the we news. got buffets <laughs> also we have the last downtown casino that's remained closed since March of last year is finally reopening. That Yay. is Main Street Station. I'm so happy for that. Yeah, it'll so unlock great. the doors Wednesday morning, the 8th of September. All the antiques, all the, Be- the, the Bella Epoque, the Berlin Wall. Yep. It's all there, as will the 777 Restaurant and Brewery and Garden Court. The place is great. Joining Market Street Cafe at the uh, Sister Property, California, as the only buffets left downtown. Uh, but wait, there's more. <laughs> Rampart in Summerlin has reopened its buffet. Uh, right now it's only dinner Thursday through Monday, and they're doing a brunch Saturday and Sunday. But cool. slowly but surely, some are coming back, and we also know that a few will never come back. Mm. I am not a huge buffet fan, but happy for those who like them. And always a reminder to go back and listen to our buffet podcast. <laughs> yeah. Dug deep into what buffets are all about. How about you, Bryce? Buffet fan? Nope. Nope. nope, not a fan. Nope. I mean, I was a kid of the Rio. Remember the Rio had that Carnival World buffet? Oh, yeah. That was fun. And then the seafood buffet at the other end. But I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not down with the buffet situation. But are you down with the edible? <laughs> I see that big block what on the, the table. What the hell is put. that? It looks like a, a, a bathroom tile. <laughs> this is <It's> okay. big. <laughs> Here's the deal. I went in. It, it's kind of funny. I toyed with the idea of taking some edibles down to Mexico, right? But uh, I was like, no, no, I didn't really want to end up in. <laughs> so, Prison. you know, it was fine. I did not. I promise you, I'm not a drug trafficker. I did not do that in yep. any Anyway, but um, I was in I was in um, Essence, one of my one of my local dispensaries, trying to find things for this show, and the guy said to me, "Oh, you got to try this Evergreen Organics. They've got and these things were on sale for five dollars a piece. Wow! They gave me they, I, for twenty bucks. I bought a big giant brownie bar. <laughs> I bought one of these things, this magic bar. I bought some Rice Krispie treats, um, <laughs> and I bought another kind of cereal bar. They were five dollars. That was the sale price. I don't know End what the normal price, but what I brought in for you is the magic bar. Now this one, it would have been good if you were a drug smuggler because it's not marked as THC anywhere right. on it. It also means it's very bad to leave around your house without your hungry friend. And it's 100 milligrams oh. for this entire bar. Oh, yeah. This thing, from what I'm told, I'm pulling it, it out now. Good. We'll show you some pictures, but it's got peanut butter. It's got chocolate chips. It's got coconut. It's got a little bit of everything. Wow. 100 milligrams total. It is kind of pre-sliced into yeah, these I see it. 10 it's milligram pieces. Wow. So um, here, this is 50 milligrams. I'm going to hand oh, you, sure. Bryce. So if you want to take a little bite, um, this is a 10 milligram piece. So I'm going to take, take a bite of a 50 milligram. I'm going to take about five milligrams of this. I have a little bit more time. You want to take five milligrams? You know, I'll take of your, mine. I'll take your five. Milligrams. Okay. All right. Yeah, I got your five milligrams oh. right here. Rich, you want some? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is just a really awesome candy bar with just, but it still has a hint of that weed in the mm-hmm. background. You oh, can yeah. taste the pot. Oh sure. Wow. Oh sure. This will get me through the rest of the day here. You what do you think? <laughs> yeah, define <laughs> get through right. the rest of the day. <laughs> It's good. <laughs> yeah, it's very flavorful. It looks like something mom makes at Christmas time. You know, exactly. like chunky uh, brownie thing. Well, this yeah. is the new Christmas present you bring your neighbors, so you uh, can tolerate them now. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, um, or vice I'm versa. Give this right. a, a big thumbs up. I'm also happy that its Ziploc bag is yep. holding up a little better than a lot. You know, a lot of times you get edibles that really don't in hold up very well. Yeah. So you can reseal it. I will, again, warn you that don't take the whole thing. Be really careful about dosing. Um, You can still microdose with this, though, without it being too difficult. And uh, It tastes like that Girl Scout cookie with the coconut in it. Yeah, the Samoans. They used to be called Samoans, but they changed it because I think that was probably... I don't know what's called. Coconut delight. Yeah. um, Cookies are now racist. So I like... This is a solid product. I I don't know what it costs normally, but at five bucks for 100 milligrams, that was like the deal of a century. That magic bar is going to do wonders. Watch out. And that's it for this episode of Food and Loathing. Uh, Thanks to our two stoned uh, co-hosts here. (laughs) Also, thanks to our guests, the national travel writers, Andy Wong and Matt Villano, all the chefs who will be part of Vegas Unstripped in October, and, of course, our oxymoronic guest host this week, (laughs) 
Bryce Krausman of right here at DW Beast. Thank you very much. And if you like what you heard, please join us again next time. We will drop new episodes every Friday. Also, please give us a five-star rating if you can and subscribe to this so you never mix miss it. Next week, football season's here, and we're taking a behind-the-scenes look at what the Raiders eat from the guy who Mm. feeds them. So, subscribe, follow us, do all that stuff. And if you subscribe through Apple, leave a nice review. We want your feedback, your likes, your retweets. On social media, search Facebook for Food and Loathing. On Twitter, it's at Food Loathing. On Instagram, find our very nice photos at Food and Loathing Pod. And reach us all direct by email, info at foodandloathing.vegas. And hey, Rich, I got something new that I can Uh-oh. tell people to check out. I have been quietly working behind the scenes on the neonmohawk.com. Yeah. It, by the time people hear this, they should be able to go over there. There's not a lot over there. That's going to be my news blog moving forward for yep. Al Mancini News. But what I've started to do is take each episode of Food and Loathing, and we're doing a little guide, right? So a lot of times people oh, say to great. me, hey, I heard about a restaurant, but I don't know where to find it, right? Yeah. So for each episode, you click on the episode guide. I call it the Food and Loathing Restaurant Guide, and there are literally links to every restaurant that we discussed in that episode. Perfect. And some pictures as yeah. well. So um, hopefully that'll keep people up to date that if they like what they hear, they can go and eat at those restaurants because that's the most important thing here. Right. You listening to this show right now, stop. Well, don't stop listening until we stop talking. But then go there. TheNeonMohawk.com. Uh-huh. In the meantime, with Bryce Krausman and producer Rich Johnson, I'm Al Mancini. Stay hungry. <laughs> <laughs>